Let's go! What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here with Paul and producer Dave, and we are very excited to be having another guest stop by to chat with us on the pod. Here for an exclusive Bingetown TV interview, we have writer, producer, and the mind behind Netflix's brand new show, Cursed, Thomas Wheeler. Tom, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day, and it sounds like your vacation at the beach to talk with us. Where are you at right now? Uh, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And um, so we, we live in Studio City in Los Angeles. And so I just we just took, went down to the beach and rented a house for a couple of days to kind of get a little summer vibes before the kids get back to school and the little beach. So it's all good. But I was like I said, I had a, a couple of meetings today and this fit in quite well and wanted to talk with you guys. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, likewise. So right off the bat, we, we kind of heard in another interview that we had of you that you and Frank kind of almost gave up on the idea for Curse while you were planning it. Is not this like, true? Not like gave up, but there were like you, you found some difficulty, you know, trying to recreate the 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 lore of Arthur, I guess it was, is what we kind of, I guess we thought we read. Well, here... I mean, I can walk you through how it went down. I mean, I think initially, um, you know, as you may have like read or heard, I, you know, was a comic book kid my whole life. So yeah. just kind of sitting down with Frank was a amazing moment for just a kind of geek out moment for me. Um, so I could not have possibly anticipated what it, this all would have turned into, but he's amazingly cool, super enthusiastic, really supportive. Uh, we, we were circling the world of King Arthur because I was like, I want to see what he would draw and I would want to yeah. see, you know, and I was super curious about Frank Miller's version of that world. And, but you know, one of the challenges was like, what what are we bringing to the table that's new, even with Frank's aesthetic, like the story has been told a number of times and um, and it's a different time, you know, and there's different kind of things going on in the world. So how do we make it relevant? And uh, my daughter was about 12 at the time. And, you know, there was just something always about that really iconic image of the woman's arm coming out of the water. And, you know, he was really intrigued by that too. And so we started to kind of just kind of go rewind on what that image meant and what it could mean and what her relationship to Arthur could mean and, and who was she. And then as we started to kind of, kind of create dimension around her, that character started to take over. And then we were really in this really interesting place, not just one where, yeah, it could be cool that a, maybe a girl had Excalibur before the, you know, or the sort of power before Arthur. And um, that felt kind of like there's a story there worth telling, but also, um, yeah, it was became this prequel. It gave us all this freedom to suddenly like open up and like introduce these characters in different ways. And what is, That's you know, what... Frank's version of Lancelot be like? And what, yeah, you know, exactly. talk about that. And, you know, what are, and, and all these ways that we might be able to hide the ball because it would be coming into the story from a, a new way. And then we were right. kind of off to the races. And I would say the only hesitation early on. I mean, I didn't know if Frank would go for any of this. I was submitting pages to him and I really didn't know we were we were doing this because initially it was just a publishing thing. Like, do you want to, right. like, Frank, you want, like, I could write something, you could, you know. <laughs> and when he kind of went for that, um, that was enough for me. That was kind of, that was the big thing. <laughs> I was like done, you know, bucket list. And he started sending some drawings and that blew my mind and, um, yeah, those those images must have been fantastic. I mean, you were a big fan of his, so receiving something, you know, personally drawn from Frank Miller must have been, you know, mind Yeah, that like characters that we were talking about. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, like, anyway, you know, like, I was, you know, in these sort of crazy sort of fairy images of like, and a lot of stuff that isn't even in the book, but was really evocative and and suggested kind of this dark fairy tale that we were talking about. So it wasn't until we were about halfway through the book and like had this sort of publishing deal in place and, you know, plenty of work on my plate now to kind of, you know, I was, I told my wife, I was like, oh my God, like Frank and I were going to do this book. He's going to do the thing. I'm like going to write a couple. <laughs> yeah. like, what the hell are you going to, when are you going to write? When is this going to happen? I was like, I don't know. We'll sort that out. Um, Cause I was doing other sort of my other projects and, um, and a book is quite an undertaking. And then yeah, very fortunate to get a call from Netflix um, 
and there's satellites in the sky or whatever, sort of all seeing Netflix. <laughs> I was like, we're, you know. So they reached, they reached out to you before you never even pitched this idea to them. I had never pitched this idea. I mean, I think I had had a general with them. Yeah, there must be some kind of all-seeing eye. <laughs> yeah. and, and I, you know, I'm not sure what, I don't, I'm not even sure Frank and I had been starting the collaboration at that point. So this was a little, it was a great bolt from the blue, but also how to logistically take that on. It took us a couple months to figure out and I had to get deeper into the book. And, um, and then ultimately, you know, it was a moment where, you know, Game of Thrones was ending and, you know, there, who else? People are looking for that next. Vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a, a moment that, now I'm sure we could have set this up at any time, but it just felt like they were really willing to, you know, put, put their, put their might behind it, you know, really support it and do it right. And it was very enticing. And we were like, all right, like, <laughs> Definitely. I don't know how this will all work out, but let's, let's jump in. And the book was, finishing as then we started gearing up the the writer's room and and that was genesis of it all that was actually one of the biggest questions i had um i know most of your famous some of your most famous work i should say has either been you know pg or pg-13 i mean puss in boots lego uh, ninjago movie i mean the cape was on nbc and empire was on abc those are you know family networks so how was it you know, to work with a little bit more freedom from the net Netflix, you know, mature rating side of things. Um, it's, it's interesting, like how it works, because it's definitely not as um, set in stone the way it would be at a network where you're going to get a report, you know, where they're like, eh, you know, this, you can't do this, can't say this, can't, um, you know, working with Frank and even my own feelings about how this story needed to, in my mind, like the first chapters and in this case the first episodes i wanted to be like a female fugitive you know like a fantasy fugitive just you know on the run in brutal conditions and emotionally raw and all of that um and then you're dealing with frank miller who's you know whose violence is kind of this sort of beautiful part of his work you know and it's this uh and of course you 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 need that and as we were you know as we had a lot of conversations about blood as we were into the production you know and and would sit with Frank in, you know, the VFX room and we would be talking about, um, yeah, the kind of brutality of this story, which Netflix didn't shrink from at all. And I thought was really important. I mean, we did know early on that this wasn't a story that was going to be as mature as Game of Thrones or have that kind of, um, and that, you know, that might be something that uh, we were going to be a slight, you know, geared towards all audiences, but want to involve let younger audiences in so that mm. point but of course there's sort of expectations off of game of thrones you know like we yeah. want to see everything and that <laughs> wasn't going to be the case with cursed um but also you know we wanted it to be as raw and brutal and intense as possible and yeah one, punch. one of the things i really liked about the show was how it kind of plays with both sides of the spectrum so it can be really lighthearted and family oriented but there's also some scenes like the scene in the pond where she cuts down all the red paladins like it's bloody it's gruesome and it's a lot of fun and i i just like how the show was able to explore that but you will also look at you know the overarching storyline is the red paladins are committing genocide on the fey and it's 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 just very cool to see how you play both sides of that kind of family oriented show but then also have those dark aspects yeah i'm very glad they didn't shy away from any of those like darker gorier that was parts one, that was one of the things we talked on early in our first podcast episodes of curse was like we're very happy that like we can mm -hmm. like it just makes it that much more real you know it makes it's, you get that yeah. much more nimue in the throne room cutting off the hands yeah. of the tusk like if they yeah. didn't show that like the fact that they showed it we were like That's oh my god such this a is symbolic a, yeah. mood like that was just such a symbolic thing right there exactly mm -hmm. um it, so, I think, and and I just to say like that, I kind of felt like we, you know, Frank's audience would kind of want, you know, his aesthetic sort of represented there. And we tried to sometimes make the violence kind of beautiful, but we didn't want to pull away from it. And then to answer your question, you know, Netflix didn't, you know, they were really kind of the, there was a lot of latitude there. Um, we, I think we got, there was a, I think we said, I don't know about your podcast. Can I, what, I don't know what I can say on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anything. Anything. Uh, you know, we had, we, at one point, 
you know, Rugen, the Leopard King, said fuck to Merlin. And it was, that was one where, like, they were like, well, you know, and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our limit. That's funny. Kind of a fun line, and I didn't yeah. like to lose it, but I was like, all right, we'll go. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I had another question about adapting the book to the show. Like you were saying, you know, you kind of knew as you were finishing up the book that it was coming. Um, but, you know, one of our co-hosts, who unfortunately isn't here today, he began to read the book when we began to cover it. And after a few chapters and after watching a few episodes, he stopped because he said, you know, I didn't want to ruin anything because it seems like the book and the show vary in slight ways and he doesn't want, you know, any spoilers. So I, I had the question, you know, how was it adapting the book to the screen? And was there parts that didn't translate as Mike, as, as uh, you much know, as you would like yeah, and smoothly were, as you would like. Were yeah. there any concessions you had to make when translating it as well? There were no like concessions where the, in, in a, like Netflix didn't say like, oh, well, we want this bit or we don't want this bit. Like I remember day one sitting down in like the writer's room. I have my brother there who he wrote episodes six and seven and he's, he's a wonderful writer in his, in his own right. I had a lot of other really smart people there and, and great writers and they just started bombarding me with questions, right? So I'm, I've been alone with this story for the most part. I mean, Frank and I have had it back and forth, but it was really like, you know, I had to go, okay, this, this, first of all, as a show, it's going to be a different animal. And one of the challenges was making sure I was open to new and cool ideas, you know, that were going to begin to flow as a result of our conversations. And if they, my, and so what I ultimately decided after about a week of, you know, going home, like complaining to my wife and be like, well, man, this is going to be intense. And she's like, <laughs> you know, I need to like balance these two things was, you know, the show, I would not sort of flatly contradict anything in the book, but I did need to allow for departures and sort of cul-de-sacs and create these opportunities to learn more backstory. And, and we found incredibly cool stuff that I'm so grateful that we found. And obviously episode three doesn't really exist in the book. Um, there's other things that are revealed later or not revealed at all. And there's, so I kind of feel like they're, they're friends, but not family, the book and the show. That's a great way to put it. They needed to kind of coexist, but, but not really battle for, you know, I, I felt like that would be too confusing to flatly change stuff. It was, it's interesting, just like episodes one and two in particular, you know, you, the reader has such an intimate relationship with Nimue because you're with her thoughts, you know, you're with her throughout this ordeal, which is, she's by herself. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, she doesn't have like a buddy by her side, you know, Pim is off to the races for a while. And um, so I, you know, I think that was a challenge in the episodes themselves, you know, that you, that I think, I think it puts the audience a little bit at arm's length with her emotional journey that is sort of a different experience than you would have with the book where you're really like, you know what she's going through, you know what she's thinking, you know what she's questioning, you know? And so you don't, so that was, uh, that was a uniquely challenging thing. Um, now yeah. we, the three of us here have only watched the show. Do you think that the same Nimue character from the book translated onto the screen? Do you think how, how we're seeing her after watching the TV show is the same in way that the readers are getting after reading the book, since we don't have that insight of her thoughts, what she's thinking. Ultimately, yes, because Catherine's awesome. And I'm just <laughs> proud of her performance. And she's, she just put everything into it and, and was not just, you know, she's not just hugely talented. She was a great leader on set. She also loved to like, like stuff in the swamp when she's killing all those guys. I mean, the paladins were, <laughs> those guys were like i'm out like they just like <laughs> i mean that was like mosquitoes and yeah leeches not kidding like nasty conditions in that wow like <laughs> and Catherine's like covered in blood covered in mosquito like there's just a swarms of god knows what around her and i remember we were talking to the people they were like so it is okay in the water right it's healthy like it's fine they're like yeah, absolutely <laughs> fine don't get it in your mouth, your eye, oh your ear. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going like, this doesn't, I mean, I'm really sure we checked with everybody. Yeah. Uh, but she was down for all the battle stuff, which was great. I mean, love that. What I would say is that I do think you get a different, you know, a different experience by reading the book. And so you, you might have insights into the character that you might not have gotten before. But um, in terms of, she was on board really early on. She did incredible 
character work. She had like journals filled with notes where like we would sit down, she would have a question and I would have to be like, she really came prepared. Like she's got a lot, <laughs> yeah. she's got a lot of stuff here. There's that's what stuff. that's what you want though. And I mean, totally. we could see we could see it as fans that Kathleen Langford was all in for it. And like we appreciated her performances. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not as much as you did, but she was unbelievable. She did. She, did she was job. a badass when she had to be, and yeah, she did a great job. Exactly. That actually would bring me into my next question. Was I was going to ask how involved you were in the casting process and. You know, when you saw Catherine Langford, like, did you know she was Nimue right away? So she came up really early, like as early, as early in the process as anything when Netflix started to express interest. And it was sort of, you know, we actually got a call because she was their, you know, big star from 13 Reasons Why. Right. And mm-hmm. it was important to her to keep her kind of, you know, in the family at Netflix. And um, they had given her the early manuscript, maybe about you know, half of the manuscript. And she had, from that, just kind of fell in love with the character. Um, and I knew, you know, I knew her peripherally. I hadn't seen the show and then watched the show and, and knew she was like, had amazing chops and emotional depth and range and has this amazing classical look that, um, you know, she's very relatable. And yet at the same time, you can see her in this kind of world. So I was very, enthusiastic and excited early on we talked a few times and she was kind of equally excited and enthusiastic we were sort of realizing that was going on and so I felt like we were there Frank was excited um and so very early on we had our Nimue which was great you can start just sort of putting the pieces together around her and I had no idea that process could have taken six months and instead she was like there and ready to go and of course that accelerated everything as well like we were it was immediately now talking about production and where we're going to do it and scouting locations. So um, I was excited creatively and it also was very meaningful in terms of just like, here we go. Having uh, Catherine Langford as your core, you said she came on early. Did you start almost casting the characters to go with Catherine Langford, the chemistry there? Yeah. What's great is you, you know, we, um, we did, uh, you know, kind of Arthur chemistry reads and Merlin chemistry reads and Morgana chem. Like you, you get to now see the scene come to life. You don't have to do it with a reader in the casting, you know, room. You can, you can see how these things might live and breathe, and that was, um, you know, hugely helpful and really cool to see these scenes play. And you start to go like, oh, I think this, I think this could work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, she, she was always like down for that and happy to do it. And she had already at that point, you know, everybody got sort of cast over the course of, I don't know, five months or so, six months. Um, so she was already like starting to do the horse stuff and sword stuff. And we were in England and, um, and already prepping the show and, and trying to fill these all, you know, all these kind of legendary roles. Um, uh, yeah. That, so. chemis- that chemistry is important. I mean, you know, especially for Pim too. I mean, we saw it really on the screen, but like Pim and Nimue had a great relationship. Yeah. And I mean, you have to have that off-screen chemistry as well, you know, in order to imitate that like friendliness. So it, yeah. uh, totally understandable yeah. where that is. Lily Lily was, was Pim. It, I've said this. I mean, she's of course great and funny and did an amazing reading, but she came yeah. in, like when she came into the cast casting room, I think she was like late, really late and just razzled like I mean she's <laughs> yeah this, this was missing like she didn't like where she was it was just so she was Pim before she like sat yeah down. That was, I was just really, about to say I was just gonna yeah. say that sounds exactly like something Pim would already be. oh yeah she was so like <laughs> kind of flustered and then you know and then was and then was great but um no she really she just kind of pops and it was you know you even you get a sense of that even though when you're making 10 hours and you can't share it with an audience yet it's not like network where you start to kind of you 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 can in real time, see how people are responding to characters and almost adjust <clears throat> on the fly a little bit. And, th- but we knew and were able to see, you know, how she was playing and how, how all these storylines start to play. And so even in production, you're able to kind of steer things and, and go like, yeah, I think we need a little more Pim here. And like, I think it <laughs> yeah. would be helpful here. And got the um, perfect amount of Pim, I think this season. This conversation awesome. <laughs> is making me, I need to highlight the one, it was such a small scene, but it's the interaction between Iris and Pim outside of the Grammaire castle. Was that like, 
how did that scene get in there? Because that interaction probably didn't was, have to happen, but it. it was so funny how socially awkward Iris was being and how just They're standoffish Kim was being. They're completely opposites. I, I have to say it was really like one of the nice aspects. I was able to hear the, uh, you guys like the seven through 12 that you, or seven through 10 you did. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because, and then and I'll answer your question, but just as an aside, you know, like in COVID craziness and all this stuff, like I really haven't had the benefit of being able to watch the show with an audience. Um, you know, I mean, I have my own, my, my family who are like, right. Love it and are sick of it at this point, of course, <laughs> like, you know, a million hours. Yeah. Like, does this effect look good? Did like, like <laughs> you know, and they're like, so they're basically producers at this point, but yeah, yeah. it was really gratifying and fun to hear, you know, you guys, and I think you do a great job breaking down the show and the, all the okay. questions were, were solid. And it was really fun to, you know, pick out moments like that. That was, um, that was a really late addition scene to glad it made the episode, <laughs> episode nine, I think. Yes, um, yes. And we were, you know, I was handling those production writing duties as we, cause we started, you know, we got our director, Sarah O'Gorman, who's amazing. She'll be working on the, the Witcher coming up. Witcher. Ooh, <laughs> whoa. Oh, yeah. But um, where's she, the book? I just, fin <laughs> I just finished reading the book today. <laughs> she's amazing as a director. And she came on for nine and 10, which were, of course, you know, nine was a quieter episode and 10 was just balls out, insane episode. Um, but that scene was just an example of like what I'm saying, like two characters I loved, who I thought were doing amazing, who yeah their energies are so opposite that that's i think what made it a really fun moment because mm -hmm. you just don't expect to see those two together and yet it's sort of that perfect innocence of pym to be confronted by that malice and sort of fucked up nature of iris um who herself you know as i was watching episodes like five and say we're editing we're going through all this i'm going like well you know i know where iris is headed and we need to make as much of a meal as possible out of that pursuit. Um, and so that's why I started to kind of like, we started to build in some some more stuff. Now, I want to stop you right there because Iris was such a wild card throughout the entire series. I never knew where her head was at. I knew her intention was to kill Nimue right when she was given that objective by the Red Paladins. But we, I was so surprised when she was obviously handed this very important story arc where she finally did do the deed at the end of the season. And now she's going to be one of the higher ups in the religious faction. It was, how, how did you, was it early on in the formulating the story that you decided to give Iris such a big slice of the cake of the story? <laughs> you know, it was, it's, I'm trying to think, I, you know, I knew, I knew we had some major collision of characters taking place on this <laughs> all kinds of hell was breaking loose. And I knew right. where, where I was leaving Nimue. Um, and there was for a while kind of in my own mind and probably very early on in the writer's room, a sense of, well, it could be a number of people that do this deed. And, you know, right. and, and it was kind of that sense of, like, oh, she's right there. Like, of course it's her. Like, she's sort of, she's just kind of weaving in between all these storylines, but she's just lurking. And she um, she was a favorite of mine in, in the book um, where we get a little bit more into her backstory, which some of which was originally planned, but didn't get in, but didn't get into the actual episodes. And I think that's okay. Like leaving her just as this sort of like, what is she, like how capable is she? And just continually like surprise audience, like, wow, she'll go there. Okay, well, and then just having her there, it made a lot of sense. Like, okay, obviously it has to, it has to be Iris and, and painful as that is. And, um, but very exciting to see where she's headed. Yeah, we hated Iris, but that's like in the fact that like we also like we just love the acting. Like Emily Coates, I think, did an excellent job portraying Iris. Like she was cold hearted. Like every episode we would shit talk Iris and just be like, She deserves to die, I right? Love now. her. She's one of my favorite characters, yeah. but man, do I hate her. Yeah, at the same time. She really she's an amazing actress. And like there there was a vibe. Um and I remember seeing her first tape and like the notes were like I dare you to say no to Emily, you know, like, cause yeah, yeah. Was, like, just in the reading was like, wow. And then on set when she would be in Iris mode, you know, you've seen like 
when she's burning like, herself with her guys like just like give her a minute guys like she needs <laughs> to, you know like you would be slightly you know not want to approach her uh yeah she she completely made it her own super committed and even and then the, it's kind of funny like I have I avoid the sort of social media like I, it's too much volume of information coming at me but mm. My wife will be like, they really, they really don't like her. But I was like, it's a good don't like, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, no, hundred you know? percent. She's like, yeah, but people hate her. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's a good. It's a. It's the kind of hate you want. Just like Ramsey there. and Joffrey, you know, yeah, everybody exactly. loves to hate those people. But Iris, I just couldn't get over how good she was at being like socially awkward and uncomfortable and unnerving. No, she was awesome. Yeah, right from the get too. You know, yeah. she wakes up. Uh, Nimue wakes up and she's right there and she's just mean to her off the bat and from there it's her. like you know how like evil can she get and she just kept going more and more I loved her yeah um, I also had a crush on Emily Coates um, <laughs> but on the other side of the uh, the men of the show um, I thought these some of these fight scenes were you know one of the best fight scenes I've seen on like a Netflix show um, you know Arthur Gawain, the weeping monk, weeping monk was just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, did you have any part in that choreography or any say of what goes on? Because I thought they were fantastic. So we, um, so Steve Dent uh, is was our sort of horse master and stunt uh, coordinator. That's and a sweet role. Yeah, well, well it's it's it rare to get both. Like he's, you know, it's kind of astonishing just what he can do in terms of what those horses can do. Um, like in that scene, you got that one shot of Nimue all hell breaking loose and the village burning down and, you know, crisscrossing horses and like Steve, like snapping it. These horses are back to their positions. I mean, it's just like the, the chaos of the beach battle. Like we could, first of all, couldn't have, you know, all of that was sort of Steve Dent and his team, which is amazing. And so, yeah, what, what would happen is maybe a week or two out, you know, I'd get a video of a practice of the practice fight. And, you know, and they, that's when they're using mats and they've got all their stunt people around. And so, and you've got your, in some cases your actors doing it, in some cases the stunt people are showing you just what the, the dance will be. And so uh, I would have a chance, Frank would have a chance to kind of weigh in on like, well, what about this? Or Frank would be like, give him two swords, you know, or like whatever, <laughs> Frank, you know, move would be. Um, interesting, I think you guys brought up side note but at one point you brought up that weird iris weapon thing that makes me so happy that yeah, you actually yeah. <laughs> heard that and brought it up. i heard that and and what i and what occurred to me and i remembered was that was one of the huge advantages of having like frank miller like on with with us in production he would be there for like you know three weeks at a time or whatever but uh i'm not sure if it was frank i think frank was like i want to do like a special iris weapon and i was like like, let's go, let's do it. <laughs> it's perfect. So and but it was like two days before her scene. Um, that we were gonna shoot that top of 10 scene. So he's like draws this thing in my office and it's like, run this down to the armory. Like we had like an armory, you know, so they would <laughs> bring this down. There's people like hammering away and they're like, What the hell's this thing? And it's that like it's so cool. killing throat slashing weapon, but that was <laughs> I remember that particularly as being like a super fun, like this is, I was like. It was I'm, a really fitting weapon for Iris because I yeah. feel like she is almost like a reaper of death for the Fae in a way. So like the sickle almost represents mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And like, but it was also a weapon I'd never seen before. I was like, I want to buy that. It's small, <laughs> compact. It's like tiny and evil, yeah, just like her. People holding like, oh shit, you know, like, it was, yeah. <laughs> like dangerous from all directions, but uh, it was really fun. And, and that was straight out of like Frank's, Frank's brain. You don't you don't get any work done when you're in like a weapons meeting. Oh, with I would not. Be like tables <laughs> of maces and flails and spears, and he was just like running around and like fighting with us. It was really <laughs> very very enjoyable. Like we would That's be nerfing awesome. out, and people would be like, "We have." We have, like, we have to make this. <laughs> that sounds like so something we fun. would do. If you just, yeah. yeah, if you laid out some weapons, we, we'd find some fruit, you know, start going oh, yeah. wild. And you yeah. tried to make us have a serious <laughs> meeting no. about them. Yeah. yeah. No work's getting done. <laughs> to uh, comment on your armory, on the armory real quick, um, some of the makeup that was done for the Fae, I commented on one of the episodes, the Fae look great in every scene and they're in it so much so your special effects makeup artist i should say like was phenomenal was there like a whole 
lineup and it was like all right everybody line up sit down you're a tusk you're a gazelle you're a druid <laughs> yeah yeah so we have this genius makeup designer um the, the head of that team is a woman named erica ogfist who you know very early on like showed me her whole she had like a whole like wall-sized diagram of fey magic and wow like yeah she was she was in it and i was like <laughs> this, is, this is definitely the, the the person for us and she designed all their worlds and of course you know we had all that stuff from the look of the raiders to you know the the tusks and snakes and cliff walkers and storm crafters and like moon wings um the moon wing alone that little girl who's telling the weeping monk story had like 12 people around her i mean because <laughs> it was so elaborate what was going on just between her wings which were these like like I don't know real fabric I'm not even sure what it was made of but the like Yeva was a colossal undertaking to, mm -hmm. to she looked great fun. though looked great. beautiful yeah yeah and yeah. that actor is she's wonderful and and so they would spend seven hours in the chair and those days were extremely difficult timing wise and schedule wise because like the 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 joining where you know Arthur and Nimue kiss for the first time and Gawain shows up I mean we had <laughs> I mean that was like people walking around. I mean, it was, that was yeah. I mean, it was just Faye everywhere. And you need basically a body per Faye person. Like you need a makeup person yeah. for every Faye that you have there. So your numbers go, you know, and so your just expenses and your numbers. Um, it's such, it's such a simple scene, but like, as like, as a, as a fan, like I didn't even take, like, think about that kind of thing, you know, but when you'd say it like this, it's like, it's I didn't either. A, I wrote this shit. And then yeah. I, you know, like, wow, this is one of our biggest days, you know, yep. to yeah. accommodate. Now it was worth it. And we would need those numbers, you know, like when they're leaving Grammaire or on the beach, you know, it was always about like, what can we get away with and who who gets the real like treatment and who can we sort of and she had figured out some ways like some people just get the antlers like pop pop and go yeah, and yeah. the real treatment in the chair because you do have to grade how much you're doing because we were fighting you know as as generous as netflix was with the show where you're still fighting days and and numbers and and budget and all that all the time right mm -hmm. Um, and I think the only character that I haven't touched on that I had questions about was Merlin. So Merlin was my favorite character from the get-go. Um, his actor was incredible. Stand on the metal. Stand on the metal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was funny in parts that weren't even meant to be funny, but they yeah. made the scene. Um, how was it working with him? And did he kind of, like, did he portray directly what you had in the book or did he kind of make it his own a little bit he's uh he's he's awesome first of all gustav is like really a really good friend of mine now like we play D D and everything on zoom like, oh, dude, all that's right, awesome real quick, i'm gonna cut you off because we were we were talking we were doing our research and i was like this guy's definitely a nerd he's got to play D, &D yeah. you know oh. like we were gonna, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so sorry but i just was like we i called it i knew from the <laughs> we, we were uh, so excited i mean we've got like it's a but my buddy chris who lives in stockholm my my son um who i sort of would i started i started him early yeah <laughs> yeah how do you have yeah. to now he's he's 17 but we are but daniel's in so monk is in merlin's in and so we've oh, got no. like, uh, fun. We have a high charisma group going oh, on. In that, that is awesome. I love so cool. Yeah, yeah, you guys might have really... to lead us through. Uh, through <laughs> yeah, BRDM. We need. We yeah, need. Yeah, I like. I always have to. I guess I have to constantly just. I'm a you control. Have, I guess now. But you also <laughs> have that experience, though. You've done a lot of writing, so the the the. the, like, the it should come easy story you know it's storytelling aerobics exactly like, just kind of like they, now do you guys play mm. we We've attempted tried, to play yeah. once and none of us really knew what we were doing so we needed a dungeon master to get we're us through still the first we one. still want to try we, get, yeah. we gave it a good try and then it just kind of fell we need apart. yeah we need a professional dm to to it's, lead us uh, through it's not as it's certainly not as hard as it looks i mean most mm. of it is sort of like common sense stuff and you roll but i mean the problem is is what they always do is they start great, like got a couple books, really just need to read one of them. And then they keep piling on books. So it seems like, oh my God, this is like, what do I have to absorb here? Like, yeah, yeah I go to college to, to, to DM, but uh, <laughs> you just need to do it a couple times and have patient friends who, uh, yeah. the first time is just slow. Cause you're just trying to like, DM's trying to figure it out. And now um, 
but I've done it for a while and, and, uh, you know, practiced on my, my son's friends and, and yeah. <laughs> a little bit, but so anyway, That's we're having, awesome. but, but getting back to Gustav. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gustav, yeah. Um, he, uh, he's clearly like sort of a, a, a nerd, um, as well, <laughs> fellow nerd and, and his reading was so kind of immediately just like the weight of the world on this guy's shoulders and the agelessness and you just got a sense of the pain and whatever and then you sit down with him and he's like this total like you know young you know light energy and you and you realize like wow like he really I mean he he just had really crafted the persona of Merlin in advance he really knew who he was and then talking him I mean I remember there were a lot of occasions but you know, we would both have these moments of real gratitude of just like, look where we are, look what we're getting to do. Like you're getting to play Merlin. He, he used to do like D and D in the woods, like live, he would LARP it up. Like you know, <laughs> LARP, okay. shoot each other with arrows and shit. Yeah. So he was very, he was definitely living his dream. Yeah. And you can just see like, we didn't need special effects around Merlin during that bridge stuff. Cause when we were oh, shooting yeah. it, he was in and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that LARPing experience and in belie believing it. And I believed it even before we added 18 layers of lightning and everything else to him. <laughs> um, so uh, he had great questions at the beginning. I sat down with all the, you know, major cast at the beginning and just, they just hit me with a million questions. Who's this, what's going on? What is his past? Cause of course, and with him, it was the most challenging because we're talking, you know, almost 700 years. years story yeah. and, um, and, you know, the sword inside it, you know, all of this sort of like dark relationship with the sword. And um, so he really wanted to know all that and incorporated it. And yes, he's, he does a beautiful job. It's, it was really, really fun to see that growth and to save up, you know, it, it was like Merlin with no magic for nine hours was a tough, you know, that was, that was a tough choice, but I did want there to be such payoffs to a lot of these oh, storylines. So. The payoff is there yeah. in season 10 when he gets his magic. The he, started, there. he started crawling towards the sword and grabbed it, and I literally got goosebumps. I was like, I didn't even think about this possibility. <laughs> it was so cool. And, you know, I said in one of our earlier episode reviews, I said, just give me all the Merlin. Give me all the Merlin. I love when he's on the screen, and I need to see him back when he had all of his powers when, when he was that, going through a rampage get that crazy flashback that was that was i mean that was episode five i believe when you get the crazy flashback of merlin just murdering everybody six, yeah, six, when he's with nimway right when she yeah. sees mm -hmm. oh that was prime time episode and yeah i got i did hear rumors about possibly maybe a little merlin spinoff is yeah, that just is rumors that, uh... or I, I'm gonna I, <laughs> let me put it this way. News to me at the time. When <laughs> okay, I, get, I got you. I would I would sign off on that in a heartbeat. But um, you know, we're letting we're letting Netflix do their analytics and their numbers, and you know, we are we're not uh, we're not an IP coming into this thing with you know a, a million like audience video game players or whatever. You know, right. I mean, so we're right. they are really gonna like burrow down. I mean, the the numbers. Um, of people that you reach is kind of astonishing and and I'm you know I'm super hopeful and optimistic we'll keep being able to tell this story you, you know and you never know but um, there's so know, many unanswered questions we we need a season two we'll be I, we'll I, be man, I got that shit I'll, I'll do an airplane across <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know millions and millions of people who are like really digging it so we gotta we I there's lots of story left to tell and and clearly several cliff cliffhangers literal cliffhangers and literal yeah <laughs> Um, that we so, so I want to go to the events of season one, just real quick. What were maybe your top two favorite scenes? Wow. Um, the, the, let's see. You can do like maybe uh, favorite. Big, I mean, there's some big obvious ones where you've worked very hard to sort of pull them off. So, I mean, I'll, I'll go with the easy one, which is, um, pulling off the bridge scene that was, you know, that was shot in the, our back lot. Um, and it was a, it was a leap of faith that, you know, I kept going to our visual effects supervisor going like, this is gonna look cool, right? Like this is gonna look good. <laughs> like you're, I mean, cause you're, we are completely in your hands here. You know, the yep. waterfall, you know, we sent, we sent planes up to shoot falls in Iceland and everything else. It was a real, 
uh, journey for that scene. And also you're fulfilling, you know, you've got stunt work, Catherine falling, you're fulfilling this thing of her calling him, you know, the father moment, you know, you've got him coming back with this match. So that, seeing that kind of pulling that off and, and having that be sort of satisfying was, was huge. Obviously right on the heels of that, you've got, you know, um, the monk sort of having his little horse ride with squirrel and, and dropping that bomb. <laughs> yep. Um, love that. You know, is a, is an easy one to go to. Cause of course you like have earned that you're hoping you've earned that. And like that everybody's <laughs> yep. going to be with you on that. Yep. That was, you earned yeah. that. <laughs> I will say that two things right off the bat. One, you earned that. And two, the waterfall scene or the bridge scene looked spectacular. We're, we're in agreement. Yeah. Yes. Completely agree. But those worries aside, so those are those are two like kind of easy ones, and I and I would have to think. I mean, there are moments like the the, the Pim Iris thing. There's a scene. There's a couple scenes with um, Catherine, and you know, I, I'm I'm really fond of the scene where Merlin shows up in the courtroom for some like the throne room for you know. Uh, I think all those there's a there's a number of scenes. For instance, Arthur and Morgana. I have yeah, to say, I love that conversation. Their talk, those two were so beautiful together and had really worked on that scene. And it was just, you know, it was another one where I think there was a real kind of the audience wanted that moment. And I just thought that they pulled it off. And, and I thought Devin's performance was just like just flying at that point and he was he was great so that's we were big we were big Devin fans we thought especially in that moment with him talking to Morgana we were blown away like we were because we were always wondering it's like what what is the beef between these two you know like yeah like they're siblings there might there's some tension we can see that but what's the deal and like when they finally broke out and you know Devin's sitting there talking about he's 12 years old he has all these debts he's crying it was just very emotional and that was definitely one of the more powerful scenes that one and the one where he goes to the tusk and says like you know take my arms you know yeah. like those yeah, were the two scene. those are two vivid scenes that I absolutely loved I have to say you know Devin was an uh, you know took on an unbelievable job here you know I mean first of all it's like he's not yet the absolute focus um right, right? mythology is leading there and you would probably you would probably see as the journey continues the mythology starting to veer towards the more familiar this is the this is the most different it would be in this first 10 hours and then so he was and, and he was doing a lot of really like questionable things you know i mean stealing the sword so we, we just like with merlin or with weeping monk like arthur had to be as far from what we you know knew king arthur as um I think to give them all this trajectory, you know, and also to make sure that Nimue is, as much as she's going on her own journey, she's impacting everyone else. That was always the idea. Like how did the, the Lady of the Lake really help form this mythology in a way we never realized. So, so it was sort of some, some kind of thankless moments where he's not the most sympathetic guy and he's got a lot of doubts about his character and his integrity and his sense of honor is so conflicted, but that's so that he can become like the most honorable, the most, you know, the, the, the greatest leader in the history of the world. And, you know, and, um, and you want to see that growth. And so that scene with Roth is you're starting to get a sense of how this guy views things and how he can inspire and how he can start to put those thoughts together. And, um, and yeah, and then, and then of course, like the emotional, just the, just the beauty of that performance in, the, in that scene with Morgana. So um, yeah, it's cool to see. Awesome. Uh, so I see we're at 45 right now. Do you guys have any, we have some rapid fire questions for you. To One last thing. Do you is, guys have any burning questions? My last yeah. burning question is you mentioned prior to us going live that you were from Philadelphia. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, like Geno's and Pat's. Uh, do you have a special, like do you have a favorite cheesesteak joint? Uh, anything like that? Anything real Philly-esque? Any favorite uh, well, sports teams? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm diehard Eagles Sixers fan. I mean, I'm slightly less baseball. Like in playoffs, I'll go baseball, but I can't mm -hmm. really like watch every single game. Hey, same same yeah. page right here. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm worried about this. As happy as I am to have basketball back, I'm a little worried about the season. And they're in know. trouble. They're in trouble. It's a TV podcast. It's fine. They're in trouble. We don't have to go deep on that. <laughs> yeah, the whole dynamic and getting rid of Jimmy and getting rid of JJ and all that. It's, 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 
Yeah, it hurts. It hits well, the heart. I still believe I still have faith. Um, <laughs> I think I would say I would say Pat's. I mean, although yes. we got, I'm trying to remember, we got turned on to a place. We were we were there last year. My my uncle and aunt still live in Philly, so we and uh, my son's interested in going back, if not just to see a lot of Eagles games. So I finally, yeah. him. I mean, he's like a West Coast kid now, and so I, yeah, this has been a a journey to get him like on board. Um, now you raised him right as an Eagles fan. Yeah, though. that is correct. That's the thing, like a force fed very early there on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Eagles and D and D. That's those are good he's things. Come he's come around. I'm proud of him, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I miss it. It would be, you know, it's it's important part of my, you know, my my life. And um, I worked in theater there early on, a place called the Arden Theater. And um, my mom was a TV reporter at KYW for years. Oh, really? There you go. And so, yeah, just a lot of good memories of that city and and miss it. All my con- East Coast connections there. Brotherly love. Yeah, come um, back. Love it. <laughs> you can do the uh, rapid fire questions. Yeah, a couple rapid fire for you. To just close it out. Yeah. Okay. So, ready? Sure. Do these have to be like yes or no? Or yeah, they're going to be like. Oh, one word answer. Yeah. If you want to give it a little bit more, we can talk about it. Rapid right. fire is more in quotes, you know, whatever you're feeling. Very loose. So, number one, cats or dogs? Dogs. Cool. Number two. Oh, I, mean, I did write Puss in Boots, but dogs. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like cats. I like cats, but yeah, dogs. We have three dogs. Uh, favorite superhero? Uh, I mean, Daredevil. Not, not, not trying to kiss up to Frank or anything, but I was, you know, I was a big Daredevil fan. <laughs> that, that's, cool. a, that's an interesting one. I feel like not many. It's you always like, yeah. you know, Spider-Man yeah. or something like that. But that's, that's awesome. a good Speaking one. Speaking of Spider-Man, though, you're a comic book nerd. Have you seen the Spider-Man films? Yeah. Could you rank the three Spider-Mans, Tom Holland, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield? Hmm. I, I'm going to go Tom Holland. Yes. I'm going to okay. go, and then I'm going to, yeah, I guess I'll go Toby, Andrew Garfield. Yeah, okay. okay. I would have been a little upset. I mean, I loved all three of their performances, but for me, it's Toby Maguire. Okay. That was what got me into Spider-Man and then yeah. Tom Holland. Yeah. Tom okay. Holland, nice quality, but yeah, I'll give that, that, that'll be my list. Okay. Number four, nerdiest hobby. Come on. I feel like yeah. we've already <laughs> talked about it. Yeah, I have it written down here. Yes, we're good. Moving on. D&D, yes, we're good. Like, go nerdier than that? I mean, like, <laughs> no, I was scared. If you yeah, had any nerdier. toy collection, but let's not even go there because yeah. like, I feel like I'm already in a dangerous area already. We're good. No, you're good. You redeemed it by saying you're real into the Sixers and Eagles. So, <laughs> yeah, try to be, you know, I try to balance. Life is balanced. Uh, number five, favorite food? Um, oh, I mean... I don't know. It'd be like pizza, but also there's a lot of good sushi in California. Can All kind right, of, there you go. That's a good one. Okay. Like that answer. Uh, number six. What is your guilty pleasure? Uh, I'm gonna say it's like like ordering a lot of shit I don't need. That like <laughs> like not to go back to the toy thing, but it's yeah. really my wife like holding up a box and be like, really, like really, you needed this? <laughs> yes. Fit the other stuff. So yeah, it'll probably be like statues or figure you know stuff i don't stuff i don't need it sounds that like, is right up our alley yeah i was gonna say <laughs> I, like so, i'll buy like a so funny. I'll, I'll buy like a replica sword and my mom will just look at me and be like what the hell's wrong with you yeah. it's like yeah, yeah, I need to marriage <laughs> so, so like, <laughs> it's just so sort of like it's you're still gonna get like uh called out even my kids call me out for it which is embarrassing you know oh, gosh like, yeah. it's comforting to hear that almost it's yeah. just gonna keep going yeah. okay <laughs> awesome do your thing be you yeah there it is there uh Number seven, who is your favorite movie director? Oh, God. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, in terms of movies that had like the most overall impact and like Raiders and stuff, I mean, I have to, I mean, Steven Spielberg's definitely up there, but there's okay. some, um, there's some really exciting people like out there. I mean, you know, Matt Reeves is pretty amazing. Uh, you know, there's, um, you know, Fincher's pretty amazing. I'll like, there's people that I'll watch whatever they do. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll give, I'll give at least those first three answers, but there's 15 more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's fair. fair enough. These are a couple favorites. Sorry to put you on the spot. Number eight is favorite movie. <laughs> if you have one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more yeah. general. I mean, the three I'll always just watch if they're on. One Excalibur for obvious reasons, but I even before this, it was just like yep. that movie is just filmed mythology and is brilliant yeah. and is amazing and crazy. 
um, but beautiful. Uh, Time Bandits, I'll always watch when it's on. I don't know if you guys know Time Bandits, but Terry Gilliam is definitely one of my favorite directors. And um, watch it if you haven't. It's awesome. Time Bandits. Um, Goodfellas, I will always watch when it's on. Yep. So yep. Uh, that's like best mob movie ever, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I think so, my dad would say the same. Top three favorites. Another favorite favorite TV show. Um, loved Breaking Bad so much. Uh, That's my guy. To see yep. that show end, um, and from beginning to end, just genius. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of what else. Like if we're seeing anything like animated shows, how about is that? Right I know you, I know you're a big cartoon guy. How about like a top? quick top three or top five favorite shows that come to your mind three like, to five <laughs> something i don't know I like I, for me personally i think of like test my but um i don't know like my son and i watch a lot of rick and morty is pretty fucking funny excuse yeah. my language but that's yeah, pretty no. cool. you're good that's, that's, good. that's a popular one here too yeah there, what's that one there's i'm kind of a crazy actually fincher does an animated thing on netflix which <clears> is pretty, pretty amazing sort of in that like heavy metal um what's it called um Anyway, if you look that up, he sort of curated these like five short stories that are um, super intense animated. I thought they did a really interesting job. I mean, uh, I don't know what it's called. Anyway, that would be, I mean, in terms of what I'm watching that's animated, um, Troll Hunters isn't bad on Netflix actually, but I don't know how, G like I actually worked on that <laughs> very early on. So that's probably uh, a bias. fair to bring that up. Yeah, that's what that's that'll be my answers. Cool. Cool. And then last one, easy one. Uh if you went to Hogwarts, what house would you be? Um okay, let's let's see. We got we got Slytherin Ravenclaw, right? Huffle. What is Ravenclaw? I don't know what two of them are. I mean <laughs> Ra Ravenclaw like, is, is slim identity. Like that is for, I mean that's so I I'm not go I'm I'm Gryffindor. Come on. I'm gonna go Okay, Gryffindor. cool. I, yeah. I mean I can't. I can't pretend I'm Slytherin. I mean, it's just not my. <laughs> I have. I mean, I'd be Hufflepuff. Maybe. <laughs> Let's go. Are you Hufflepuff. All right. Yeah, I'm Hufflepuff. Each <laughs> his own. I don't. I don't judge school. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's all I had for rapid fire questions. Uh, we can wrap this up here. Do you have any lasting comments you want to share with the uh, with the audience here? What's going on? Oh, you guys. You guys. I thought you did a great job. It was really fun to listen to the podcast. Um, I think you were really thorough and just love this sort of attention to detail. And you clearly are, you know, just kind of fans of the genre. And it was really, it was, it was fun to see you guys sort of pick pick through and ultimately thumbs up, cursed. Um, <laughs> And, you know, hopefully, knock on wood in a million ways, we'll get to keep telling the story and, uh, you know, maybe we'll chat again. I hope so. Hey, we would love to have you back on. There you have it, guys. Tom Wheeler, a friend of the podcast, if ever there was one. If you're listening right now, then you're probably aware that we've already covered Tom's Netflix series, Cursed, right here on the Bingetown TV podcast. But if not, be sure to go back and give those a listen. As always, if you like what you heard, give Bingetown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our show on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. Once again, we are Bingetown TV. And thanks for listening. And thank you, Tom. Thank thanks, you, Tom. Guys. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.